guys. Today's guest is an 18 times business and investing author, nine-figure entrepreneur, global speaker, and in fact, holds a double world record for public speaking and is the founder of the UK's number one podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. From being lost, confused, and losing his way in his 20s and having racked up over 50,000 pounds of debt, he had a huge awakening after his father had a nervous breakdown and he decided to stop being a victim in his life. He took responsibility and started living to his true potential. Within a year, he had cleaned out all of his debt. Another year later, was owning 20 properties. Two years later, owning 50 properties and then become a millionaire before his 31st birthday. One of his huge drivers for success is to help as many people get a better financial education than what's actually provided in schools and to help them get started on their own venture. So please help me welcome the guy who went from having two near-death experiences, being lost, confused, and in massive debt to now international speaker, business coach to multimillionaires and celebrities, being featured in Forbes magazine, Business Insider, Virgin, Qantas, Guinness Book of World Records, and so many more, plus the host of the number one podcast in all of the UK, my friend, the most disruptive entrepreneur I know, Mr. Rob Moore. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Mate, I'm excited to have you on. Um, you know, obviously, I've been following your stuff for quite a while and um, you've been blowing up actually lately. You've had some really big interviews lately. You've had, you had Andrew Tate and stuff on a little while ago too, didn't you? Yeah, um, I've got to know Andrew quite well. My podcast, which we've recently rebranded to Disruptors, so it's not just for entrepreneurs anymore. It's for people who want to change their life, disrupt their own comfort. Yeah, it's going well. I mean, as I listen to you read my old CV, I always feel embarrassed because there's always more I want to do and achieve. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't really feel like I'm blowing up. I feel like I'm just getting started. Just getting started. What What is the big things for you? I was actually going to ask you, like, why do you do all the things you do before we even get into everything that you have done? But what is your biggest driver? What is the big things you still actually want to do and accomplish? Um, so I'm an entrepreneur and I want to be an entrepreneur that inspires as many other movers, shakers and change makers, disruptive entrepreneurs or anyone who wants to get better financial education. I think that's severely lacking in the system and in schools. I think the system breeds essentially battery chickens. If you think of a battery chicken, it's not a real chicken. It's a chicken that probably doesn't really have a head, probably doesn't really use its other features and organs. It's just basically used, pumped full of steroids to beef up, to be used to eat. And I think that the system is breeding people who it can consume through getting into debt and for I think the average person pays $600,000 of debt repayment interest in their life. And I think the average person pays about two thirds of what they earn and what they spend in tax when you add it all in. And look, I'm not anti-system conspiracy theorist or a believer in a full matrix, but I don't think that that's fair or right, or at least the motives of the system are transparent. So I feel like I want to help people become their own source of knowledge, income, opportunity. Yeah. And you can't change the school system quickly enough. So I created my own in the form of my books and my membership site and my podcast and all the content I do. So really that's my mission to give better financial education and knowledge to as many people on this planet as possible. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. 
I don't really have any hobbies. I don't really like doing anything else but business and entrepreneurship. So I think I'm destined to do this for the rest of my life. I started when I was 26. I'm 44. I feel like I'm warming up. The average person starts their business around about my age. And I've been an entrepreneur for 16 years. So I've got a good head start, but I've got a lot of work to do. I was going to ask you, you mentioned something about, you know, not full-blown conspiracy theorists, the matrix and all that. Is it because you're not in 100% agreement of what that narrative is? Or are you also mindful of in the back of your head is if you really speak up about the things that you may be opinionated on, like Andrew, you may also go down the route of being cancelled and all of that, or not so much? Um, well, it's a bit late for that because if you watch my Facebook lives, I've ranted about pretty much anything I believe to be wrong or needs to be exposed or at least needs to be educated. Like the transparency of why the banks exist. The banks exist to make profit. The banks do not exist to serve humanity. Saving money is not good for you. Saving money is good for the banks. So, But we're not told this because it's not transparent. Um, but essentially, the central banking system is a large, well, a small cartel of very powerful funds, entrepreneurs, corporations, etc. So it's too late for me to be quiet and not fully share what I believe because I've already done that. So am I worried about being cancelled or deplatformed? Yes. The reason I'm not a conspiracy theorist is because here's what I understand. I understand there's a lot I don't understand because all we know is what we're fed. And what we're fed is controlled by AI, Google, social media, algorithms, media. So a lot of what we see and what we read, how do we know if it's true? We have no idea if it's true. So there are limitations on my knowledge and my belief. And so that's why I I'm, I'm maybe don't fully expose the system. For example, Morgan, I've asked at least 100 people who controls the world. No one can name a person or people. All they do is churn out phrases like, you know, the Great Reset, the New World Order, yeah. Charles Schwab, the World Economic Forum, etc., the Rothschilds, because you can't get close enough to the original source of the information to actually know what's going on. So I'm not going to know what's fully going on. So what I try and do is explore the upsides and downsides, the potential conspiracies, which might be a reality, and then the conspiracies that are just conjecture, and try and find some middle ground truth. For example, if I talk about the central banks, I talk about that they could be the greatest Ponzi scheme of the last thousand years, or they could be the greatest leverage tool for the growth of the economy and humanity. And they could be either. Because if you think about it, making money out of nothing and lending it to us and pumping the system full of this tool that we trust that isn't real, you could argue is one of the smartest business models ever. If I could create my own currency and sell it to my customers and it does, it, it's not backed by gold or anything, that'd be a great business model. So on the one hand, you, you've got maybe some really smart entrepreneurial minds here that have created an amazing tool. Money is an amazing tool. Or the banking system is the greatest Ponzi ever because essentially when you borrow money, it's just created as debt. So it's not real money. And then you're stuck in the system of paying it back for the rest of your life. And you think you're sold that savings is good when, in fact, the interest you get is at least 10 percent less than inflation. And the banks want your money so that they can lend it out so they can make money on your money. The only way they make money is profiteering by lending your money to other people. So it, it could be deemed as a Ponzi or a scam. That Because if I said to you, Morgan, give me 100 grand and... That will go down 10 to 15% every year. It's not insured. It's not guaranteed. 
So you'll lose 10 to 15 grand a year, but I'll make maybe 10 grand a year on lending it out to others. And by the way, if I want to keep it, I'll keep it. And if you want it, you can't have it all. Mm. That You would see that as a scam. Yeah. That is the banking system. That is the banking system. So I talk yeah. about it, but I try to be balanced because I realize the limitations of my information. Yeah. Before we go down the whole route of money, because I know you love it and I know my listeners are going to love it. I want to talk about one thing that I've noticed from you and like from afar, you've interviewed, you've had Andrew Tate, you've had Floyd Mayweather, you've interviewed some huge people. And so it doesn't take a genius to figure out that one of your, I don't know if you're born with it or you've learned it, what I'd love to know is you've developed the skill to be a master at networking and building good relationships. So I'm curious to know is how important is networking and how does one get as good as you at networking We're down and network with some of the most famous people in the world. Hey, what's up, Dream Nation? It's Morgs. I've got a question for you. What would have changed in your life if you had access to this content and this wisdom when you were in school? Just imagine the difference in the results that you'd have today. Look, I'm building the number one personal development platform that we all wish we had access to at a younger age. And I'm bringing you the real stuff that we all know we should have learned in school. I'm committed to bringing you the best guests and the best value on the market at absolutely zero cost every single week. You see, many podcasters rely on running ads to fund their show, and that's just something that we don't do because I want us to be ad-free. So instead, this is my little plug to just ask you for your support. This show is only spread by word of mouth. So by subscribing and sharing this episode with your friends, it allows not only the listeners, but also the impact to grow. So please... If you could take a screenshot of this episode and go ahead and share it on your social media and tag me, it would mean the world to me. And together, we'd be making a collective impact and helping people learn things that they should have learned in school. And while you're at it, make sure that you're subscribed so you get notified every single time I drop a new episode so you can keep on sharpening your mind. All right, now let's get back into it. So... They say in the entrepreneurial world, your network is your net worth. And it's become an entrepreneur's cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. I really believe that to be true. And so if you hang around with millionaires and billionaires, you'll end up becoming one by virtue of osmosis. If you hang around with zero heirs, moaners, complainers, bitches and whiners, you'll end up becoming one by virtue of osmosis, i.e., you're impressionable. We're all impressionable. And so the people we spend the most amount of time with, their um, values are imposed onto us. So it's kind of you to say, Morgan, that I'm a master networker. I don't really see myself as a master of anything. And this is not false humility. It's just who I am. I'm still the kid who was bullied at school and I was really overweight. I'm still the guy that has a lot of fears, resistance, or... um concern for being rejected and ridiculed um like most other humans um so i've had to teach myself the skills i wasn't born with the networking ability i've had to teach myself the skills of consistency and persistence and resilience and just hunting down people until i get an audience with them now there are different ways to get an audience with the right people you can pay to go on their programs you can stalk all their content and get to know them really well and reach out to them um, and in a very short message, pull out some stuff about them that it's obvious you've researched them well and then make your request. 
10 minute Zoom or one to one call for advice or interview them on your podcast or whatever. So that's another way of doing it. You can follow them on all the socials and engage and create meaningful debate on their socials so you get noticed. You can go to networking events and business meetings. You can even pay your way in. There's multiple ways of doing it. And I try and do all of them. Mm -hmm. I love that. The pay to play. That's like, that's one thing that's never failed me. That and this podcast, to be honest, it's insane. I I never actually, like when I first started this podcast, I started because I'm like, I just want to put wicked information out to people and help people and yada, yada. And one by one, it's getting connected to people and developing these relationships and it's exploded now into what is two businesses we have now um and it's just insane but it's easy to do and it's easy not to do there's so much information out there and i think people don't have an information problem they have a implementation problem so why do you think most people don't actually act on the things that they know they should be doing that's going to take them closer to what they say they want comfort comfort is the enemy of growth Fear of rejection, ridicule, which stops us pushing us outside of our comfort zone. Confusion of who you are and what you're meant to do with your life. Overwhelm of, like you said, we don't have an information problem. Well, actually, we do too much. Mm. We have an implementation problem or an action problem or a facing challenges and difficulties problem. Um, generally I find that if you do the hard thing now, it gets easier later. And if you do the easy thing now, it gets hard later. So there's some reasons why people don't, there's a great saying to know and not to do is not to know. I think that's an old Eastern kind of proverb. One that I love as well, which is Eastern is talk doesn't cook rice. Talk doesn't cook rice. (laughs) (laughs) Cooking rice cooks rice. Talk doesn't (laughs) cook rice. (laughs) And I wrote a book called Start Now, Get Perfect Later because I realized there are so many people that want to and dream to but don't do because of some of these reasons I've explained. And I delve into the various different reasons of which there are a common few, like I mentioned. I reckon one thing, Morgan, to finish the answer to this question is if we had no concern for what people thought about us, we gave no time to critics, trials and haters, we... We're not worried in any way, shape or form what people thought about us, said about us. I wonder how much more free. I wonder how much more liberated. I wonder how much more focused. I wonder the things that we might do. Because, you know, starting a side hustle or going into a new venture or quitting your job to start a business. What would the the husband, the wife, the friends, the critics, what would they have to say about that? And if you were the only person on this planet, but you could easily sustain and survive, what would you do? You'd probably do different things to what you're doing now because there would be no one to judge you. That fear of judgment, I think, really holds us back. 100%. And it's such a made up thing. One thing I often do is just think forward to the 50, 60, 70-year-old version of me and ask that person the question. It's like, if I was the 50, 60, 70-year-old person right now, having the same problem right now, worried about what little fucking Sally is going to think or the broke dude who still is broke uh, 10, 15 years after school. If I'm worried about what they're going to think, is that actually going to concern me when I'm 50, 60, 70? Every single time the answer has been hard no. And uh, that's one thing that I've, because like you said before, it's like, it's not like you're this master or anything. You still face the the things and, and the doubts, or, but it's, it's, it's what comes after. It's what you choose to actually do with it. 
And I really think that's the difference because all humans are, are really the same. I think we all face the same shit. It's like, but the mega successful, the ones who decide to go, okay, I'm feeling the fear, I'm feeling the doubt or whatever, but what am I going to do about it? You can even like step through it, break through it, or let it still be the story in three, four years sitting around the pub with your mates being like, oh, you know, I thinking about that thing one time. And yeah, I love it. About the banking. So one thing you were saying before, you're saying pretty much, and, and I've seen like some of the stuff you put out and it's not just from you. Like it's a, a lot of people talk about this, like not negative on the banks, but for lack of better words, negative on the banks. Like don't put your money in the bank, blah, 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 blah. If we're not going to be putting our money in the bank, can you elaborate more on that? Like, are you saying like to not have any money in the bank? And if so, what are you actually, what should we do with it? Or is it a matter of keeping some? And yeah, I'd love to elaborate on this. So the paradox of the banking system is that in some ways it makes our lives faster, easier, and better. Isn't it nice to get your phone out and tap it to buy something? Isn't it nice that direct debits are automated so you don't have to faff around with payments? Isn't it nice that you can get a mortgage to buy a house when you haven't got to save up the full cash to buy the house? So it gives us leverage. So that's why I'm not fully anti the system and the banks. So use those benefits, but just be aware of the drawbacks. So should you have some money in the bank? Of course, pay your overheads, your sustenance. Is it wise to have a little bit of a contingency fund in the bank? One to three months living expenses or an emergency fund? Yes. Is it wise to have any more of that? No. Why not? Because you can't get a return on it. So any surplus cash, you obviously want to get a return on because your cash is supposed to be an asset. But your cash in the bank is a liability. But you need money to live and sustain. So that obviously has to stay in the bank. But you want to remove as much of what you earn as you can from something that reduces the value of your money and the banks reduce the value of your money because they pay you very low interest and it is very high inflation. So in a way, it's financial common sense. You store your money in the place of greatest return and safety and security. You're led to believe that the banks are the safest place to put your money. I don't think it is. I think there are other safer places. I actually think your money is much safer in the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100. I think that your money is much safer in gold as long as you've got security and insurance. So we always got sold the story that the banks are the safest place to have your money, but I'm not sure they are. Mm. So anything over and above general living and a bit of contingency emergency needs to be put into the place of the greatest return. Now, Morgan, in five years, the banks might have improved their safety systems and Interest rates might be 15%. If interest rates are 15% and inflation is 3%, your bank's probably a good place to have your money. So, of course, it changes over time because, you know, the net return of your money linked to the banking system is interest minus inflation. At the moment, it's virtually no interest and 10 to 15% inflation when you put everything into the basket of goods. So where then should you put your money? Now, look, this moves into potential financial advice. And I think I actually have proven to know more and make more than virtually every financial advisor out there. And they're not independent, even though they're called an independent financial advisor. I make no money on what I'm about to tell you, but I should just make that caveat that you should do your own financial research and get your own independent advice. Um, but rule number one of your money is you don't want it all in one place because if it's all in crypto, 
or if it's all in a bank or if it's all in cash, then obviously you're at a greater risk of loss. So you need some diversification, number one. Um, number two is you, you need to think about liquidity and risk. So liquidity is how quickly do you need it? So a couple of weeks ago, I got paid £850,000. And I'd put roughly £150,000 of that into long-term, well-managed fund, buy, hold, die. And then I probably put some into real estate, some into physical assets like gold and watches, classic car maybe, bit into Bitcoin, some back into my business, some as, as lending. Um, but I've got maybe 700 grand that I'm going to want to hold for six to 12 months until I can invest it into those assets. So I've got to think about where can I keep that money relatively short term so that it doesn't get inflation wiped, but it's liquid. So you've got to think some of your money you might need within a week or a month. And that's got to be in somewhere fairly liquid. And long-term money that you might not need, you probably want to put that into somewhere long-term where you've got a, a higher return. So let's say liquidity. And then there's risk, which is, you know, what's your threshold to risk your age? I imagine people who are 75 aren't chucking money into Bitcoin. I imagine people who are 21 are because of risk. And you can recover from losses much quicker if you haven't got kids and you haven't got mortgages and you know, you, you don't need to cash in on the pension soon. So you've got to think about all those things as well. Um, so I'll just summarize by saying where I put my money, which isn't advice, it's what I do, is I invest it into my companies because I can get a good return on that. I buy watches because I can get a good return on that. I buy gold because it's a good store of value. I've got a lot of real estate, nearly $100 million worth, 360 properties, 1,250 tenants. I like putting money in real estate. I like putting money in the FTSE 100 and the S&P 500 or a well-managed fund um, because long-term, it seems to do well. I actually think it's safer there than it is in the banks because it's across 100 or 500 institutions, not one. Um, you know, and, and, and other little bits and bobs like some crypto, etc., but very small. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. How big are you on crypto? So is that, are you looking small. at it as, yeah, small? It's like a, if it turns into something incredible, happy days, but if it dies in the ass, you're not too fast. The reason I'm small on crypto is because really you've got Bitcoin, Ethereum, all other crypto. Mm. And Bitcoin is the one that's fully decentralized. Ethereum's the challenger that looks like it could be long-term. Everything else you could argue is not decentralized. It's basically someone owns the platform. We saw with um, FTX, is it? Yeah, yeah, Sam Bankman-Fried. We saw that actually that's not a decentralized exchange or cryptocurrency. That is a private platform that an entrepreneur owns. Um, Just like you wouldn't put loads of money into someone else's bank account. And people didn't get that. So I'm not anti-crypto. I'm not anti-Bitcoin. I think that it has some great disruptive, decentralized features and promises. It's just so new. Therefore, it's risky. Anything yeah. that's new is volatile and risky. I think you should always only invest what you can afford to lose in anything that is new or volatile or risky, of which all cryptos are, Ethereum a bit less so and Bitcoin a bit less so. But it's still really volatile. What's the first rule or first step of getting rich? Never lose money. Never lose money. Warren Buffett said the first rule of money is never lose money. And the second rule is refer back to rule one. <laughs> so, look, 
most people don't get rich because they lose money all the time. They buy depreciating liabilities. They invest into assets that aren't assets. They trust people they shouldn't. They don't do due diligence and research. They gamble. They're addicts. So actually, if you never lost money, in the end, you'd get rich because most people are broke because they keep losing money. They keep spending it. Um, or they think they're investing it, but they're not. So that's probably the first fundamental rule. The second one will be educate yourself, become your own independent financial advisor. That's why I wrote my book, Money, because I thought there's not enough independent financial advice and knowledge for, you know, the average lay person. So I taught people how to be their own independent financial advisor, how to make, manage, and multiply their own money. So the set, the more you know about money, the more money you can make. Yeah, it's definitely a subject I wish, like if if I look back to school that I hated, if they taught money one, like Jim Rohn said, right? If they taught wealth one and wealth two, I would have taken both classes, right? And it is the thing, like I say to people, it's like the two things that I think, which I'd love to hear your opinion on this. The two things that I think are most important in your life is money and relationships, right? Like if you don't learn how to make the right type of money and a lot of it, life's going to be quite hard, and if you don't learn great relationships or even be a good partner, be a good husband, be a good wife or whatever, then it's also going to be a quite hard life. But what happens is after school, people stop learning, period. But especially they don't even pick up a book on a relationship or money. But what I want to ask you about was there's the saying that money doesn't buy happiness, blah, 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 blah. What do you think about that? So I would say the... Four most important things in life, probably in this order, Morgan. So I'm going to challenge you a bit. I think that health probably has to be universally number one. And the older you get, the more you realize that to be the case. Warren Buffett said good genes was one of the reasons he got really rich because he was able to live till very old and leverage compounding. The longer you live, the more money you'll make through compounding and longevity. I would say your understanding of self and your management of self it's probably then the next most important thing because we're born and we have this supercomputer and we don't know how to use it and we don't have any instructions on it. And if you imagine your iPhone, there's probably a zillion features you haven't yet learned how to use. And we become a slave to the iPhone and addicted to it. It's the same with our mind. So the better we understand our mind in the supercomputer, and managing our emotions and the relationship we have with ourselves and our self-mastery, I would say then relationships and then money. And I wrote money. So, you know, I've, yeah. I've many times argued that money is one of the most important things in the world. It's one of the most important tools in the world. It's ubiquitous in that we all need it because it's an agreed universal exchange of value and a store of worth. So I just wanted to lay out there a reply to the most important things. Now, um, people say money doesn't buy happiness. I say it fucking does. And the reason I say that is because try going. Let me ask you this. Well, I'm asking this to everyone watching and listening. Would you like to travel in luxury or poverty? Would you like to live in a, a really nice house or a shed? Um, would you like to see the world or be stuck in your town or village? Would you like to give your kids the best education in life, the best schooling? Or have them go to some really poor quality school where crime is high. So like, I haven't even talked about cars and watches and luxuries. I've talked about essentially basic things that humans want. They want to travel. They want to see the world. They want to raise good kids. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be able to invest in your health? 
so that um, I spent two and a half thousand pounds a month on health supplements, Morgan. And I'm not talking about supplements to get strong. Obviously, as you can see, I'm not muscly. I'm talking about various different vitamins and minerals and things to help with longevity and energy. And between myself and my wife is two and a half thousand pounds a month. Wow. And I believe all of these supplements that that we need are really helping me with my energy and longevity. And I couldn't afford those if I was broke. So actually money buys happiness, money buys longevity, money buys freedom. It does. Now, money itself isn't those things. Money itself is the tool to buy those things. And without those things, it's very difficult to get them. Yeah, I, I think the narrative comes from, because like you just said, right, the four things, which I, I agree you know, health. And then the second one you said is really like understanding and knowing how this works because the people who are born into not knowing how important health is or your own, your own mindset often go after, I need to make money because that's where I'm going to get happy. And I think the narrative sort of comes from that because then you've heard the stories of people who are super rich and super unhappy and depressed and sad. And I'm not sure if I'd really want that one either. I think people would need to understand that it's the combinedness of those things. If you can like happily achieve and create this success, but like, like what you said, I love what you said. You like, you'll do business and entrepreneurship until the day you die because you fucking love it. Like where I know people that are doing business because they feel like they've got to. And it's like, man, you might even be better off just going and working a job at fucking McDonald's, but investing, just learning how to invest and then get wealthy in 30 years. Why would you want to do something that is just absolutely freaking miserable at for the most of your life? But I love it. What do you think is the biggest difference between people who are poor and people who are rich? Hey, legends. Just before we wrap up this interview, I want to ask you a question. Can you remember how you discovered this podcast? Was it on Instagram, YouTube, or a friend's social media somewhere? You see, somehow you got access to this and I know you've been getting a lot of value from it. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep listening to it, right? And I'm wondering if you'd like to team up with me and pay this forward so that we can make an impact in someone else's life too. Let me ask you, who do you know that could get a lot of value from listening to what it is you just listened to? You know, some of the greatest moments in my life is when people have come up to me and they've said, thank you so much for sharing that information with me or talking about that particular subject as it's had a profound impact in my life. And I'd love for you to get that same feeling. So... Go ahead and share this episode with one person that you know needs to hear this message today. And while you're at it, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe and leave us a five-star written review. And I may even be shouting you out on one of my future episodes. So thank you again, Dream Nation. Now let's finish up this episode. I'm going to answer that question in 30 seconds. I want to call out something you said because I think this is a great lie. People say, oh, I know people who are really rich and really unhappy. Do you? Really? Does Elon Musk look really unhappy? Not to me. One of the best, funniest Twitter accounts I've ever seen. It's one of the richest people in the world. Mark Zuckerberg seems on mission. Even when he's got challenges, he seems like a pretty balanced individual. Bill Gates, like half the planet hate him, but he's still cracking on. Virtually got rid of polio single-handedly. So this bullshit narrative of oh, I see all these rich people and they're really unhappy. Says who? And where's the holistic study on this? And where's the proof? And people say, oh, I know rich people. They don't. Most people don't know rich people. The only people that know a lot of rich people are rich people. (laughs) 
So I wrote about this in my book, Morgan, because people don't understand. Yeah. Money and happiness are unrelated. They're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, these billionaires, they have three divorces. Yeah, so does zero S. Zero S are also really fucking unhappy. So you can be rich and happy or rich and unhappy. You can be broken happy or broken unhappy because money and happiness are unrelated. So that narrative is bullshit. So here's what I say. Happiness is one part of your pursuit as a human. And wealth is another part of your pursuit as a human. And they are unrelated. And you can relate them or unrelate them as much as you want. But I can tell you this, Morgan, because I've been broken. I've been rich. Mm -hmm. I am the happiest when I'm making really good money. Here's why. Number one, I know I'm being useful and valuable. With what I do, I cannot make money if I'm not being useful and valuable. So the more money I make, the more I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, I am being valuable to people. It is directly linked for me and most people. Number two is when I get a big fat paycheck, I'm like, man, yeah, it makes me feel good. It's good for my self-worth. Eat. Do you know one of the best ways to increase your self-worth? Be rich because <laughs> you feel good about yourself. And you feel shit about yourself when you're broke. I also know I can give more to charity. I can invest more in assets. I pay more taxes, etc. So I just wanted to call that. Um, what was your question? Sorry, Did, Morgan. I, uh, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. And the, the question was, what do you think the biggest difference is between broke people and rich people? But before you answer, I want to come back to, because what you were just saying, I fucking love it. Because the other day I put out something on my social media. I forget what the fuck I put out. I put something about how speakers can get paid uh, like some speakers in the world get paid seven hundred thousand dollars to do a keynote and someone replied to me and they're like this is disgusting i'm like how's it disgusting and they're like it's so disgusting that there's people out there that get paid seven hundred thousand dollars an hour yet there's people out there that are broke and blah blah blah, blah, blah. Oh, like they're hungry and yada, yada yada and i said well why don't you go learn the skills to become a speaker so you can get paid that money so then you can go and help the people who need it and she's like oh but I, I can never do it and da, 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 And she's like, do you think those people even do it? I'm like, I tell you what, I know a lot of people that are very rich and they, they give away a lot of freaking money. But I think the biggest thing between people who don't have what they want and the people who do have what they want is the bullshit story that they keep telling themselves as to why they can't have it or the negative narrative they have, which is what this person had. They looked at people who are wealthy and said, well, they're bad as such because they can make so much freaking money. So I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, so the difference between rich people and broke people, well, first off, you've got to separate poor and broke. So my definition of poor is people who were born um, in a relatively resourcefulless society, like a developing world country. Maybe they were raised in a really rough area of crime. Right? Maybe they were raised without parents and you know, father and mother figures. Maybe they were in disease-ridden African nations, for example. And that's poor, and that's not their fault. Broke is in a developed society with an internet connection, with the ability to earn, but you waste your money, you become an addict, you become a consumer, and um, you become victim to your own emotions, and you tell yourself your story of why your life is unfair and it's hard and blah, blah, blah. They're very different, and I don't look down on poverty but i do look down on broke people if well, as i look down who am i to look down but if someone is broke but they have all the resources to be wealthy then they're stopping themselves and they need to look at themselves but there's kind of two types of broke people there's the broke person that doesn't even know they can be rich 
thinks that there's no chance that they would ever be rich and it's, you know, the system is not fair and whatever else. And there's the broke person that wants to be rich or keeps trying to make more money, but is continually hitting hurdles. And if I were to summarize the difference between the broke and the rich is the rich produce, the broke consume. The rich create meaningful and useful and valuable products and services that serve humanity. The broke consume and relatively drain the resources of humanity. The rich have learned the rules of money. The broke are a victim to the rules of money. The rich are responsible for their results and actions. The broke blame and think that life is not fair or set up against them when it comes to their actions and responsibilities. So they would be some of the main summaries of the difference. I love it. What's the difference between a six-figure earner, a seven-figure earner, and an eight-figure earner or entrepreneur? Okay, number one is how long you've been in the game. The longer that you're in the game, the more likely you are to hit eight figures plus. So the law of compounding, the longer you are in the game of money, the more the money you have compounds, your brand compounds, your experience compounds, your followers compound, et cetera. So number one is the length of time. Number two is leverage. So a six-figure earner probably has a couple of staff. A seven-figure earner might have a dozen staff. An eight-figure earner might have 50-plus staff. And so you leverage people, you leverage systems, you leverage processes, you leverage scale, which means you've got to get out of your way of being the solopreneur. You know, the six-figure is probably the solopreneur. The eight-figure is probably the entrepreneur or the business owner. So that's certainly a difference. Um, The ability to sell and be great at marketing. So you can get to six figures, getting recommendations and referrals from your existing clients and being relatively comfortable dealing, offering a, a good value product and service. But you can't dramatically scale unless you're good at sales and marketing. Marketing is generating the lead and sales is converting the lead into money. And not enough people at that six figure stage focus on sales and marketing. They focus on product and delivery and operations and admin, but they don't focus enough on sales and marketing. I love it. Who's your favorite entrepreneur in the world right now that's living? My favorite entrepreneur in the world right now that's living is Tom Ford. Tom Ford. Um, So Tom Ford, um, at a relatively young age, became the head creative of Gucci. And back in the day, I used to like Gucci. And I was always inspired by how someone... So Alexander McQueen, he became the head of a couple of famous fashion houses in his early 20s. I think Tom Ford was like 30, was he? And I just found that inspiring how someone so young could be the head of a massive global brand. The story of Tom Ford, I just love. Um, I wore Tom Ford's suit to my wedding. I think it's probably one of the best, if not the best brands for what he stands for. And when he left, I think it was when he left Gucci to launch Tom Ford, they needed four people to replace him because he was so good at what he did. And, you know, great entrepreneurs can do the jobs of two or four or 10 other normal human beings. If you hear Tom Ford talk about relationships, I think it's some of the best. He basically says, if you find someone and they're a good person and you love them, never let them go. Never, ever, ever let them go. And I think it's too easy when things get hard to let things go. And I found that really inspirational. I love how he talks. He's so articulate, so charming, 
So, I mean, there's many great entrepreneurs. I love Elon Musk because how disruptive he is. But my favorite is Tom Ford. Love it. I love it. Rob, this has been value-packed. Where can everybody find you on social media, follow all your stuff, and follow along? So as we're on a podcast, my podcast is called Disruptors. So if you want nearly a 1,000 episodes of interviewing billionaires and the most disruptive people on the planet and my own content, search Disruptors on any podcast channel. You can follow me on any and every social. I'm on most of them. My handle is Rob Moore or Rob Moore Progressive. Um, so you can find me there. If you want to start with one of my books, I'll probably start with money. That's probably money and life leverage are the two books where people, they start and get the most value from if you're a start or scale up entrepreneur. So I'd probably say those. I love it. All right, Amanda, wrap this up. I got one final question for you. Are you ready? I'm always ready. If you were to go back to your 18 year old self and give him 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? Stop getting pissed. Stop chasing women. Stop going out and have three-day hangovers in your week. Stop being scared and start a side hustle. Start now, get perfect later. Find something that you'd like to do that's a passion that you could turn into your profession. And even if it's just evenings or weekends or out of school or uni, go start that business. That's what I would say to myself. 